Welcome to another episode of Werewolf the Podcast. This is another of our kind of themed discussion episodes that we've been doing recently. Couldn't quite call it a Galliard's rant, though I'm sure we are going to rant several times in this episode. But today I am joined by Victor Kinzer from Walking Away from Arcadia, and we're going to talk about queer themes in Werewolf the Apocalypse. This is an episode idea that was kicked off by a patron of the podcast who I want to thank for kind of suggesting that we discuss this topic. And I think we've got a lot to say around it that may not always agree, but I think that's true for anyone kind of coming at these sorts of games from any perspective. But I do want to say that if you disagree, if you have any other thoughts, this is particularly an episode where I'm happy to hear feedback and thoughts and discourse because I think it's really valuable. So please don't be afraid to reach out and say, hey, I think X or I think this, and we can kind of discuss that and maybe work that into a future episode as well. So Victor, on that note, how are you? How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Um, I'm excited about this episode. I've been doing a lot of reading and brushing up and yeah, it's an interesting topic. I've spent a lot of time thinking about queer themes in a lot of the World of Darkness games, but prepping for this episode was interesting and thinking about how that applies to Werewolf. Yeah, for sure. I want to just say for anyone that isn't aware of of my background, I identify as bi, have done so since I was a teenager, but also lived in a family that had a don't ask, don't tell policy. Both my aunts are gay. (laughs) Both of them are married to to women it's very odd that we had that sort of thing going on. And then I was in the army during actual don't ask, don't tell. So there was a long period of time where it was just not something that I talked about openly, but I'm not afraid of it, but I do want to mention like that upfront. So I feel like from that weird lens, I have some perspective to talk about this topic and, um, and yeah. So. Yeah. And, just so people have background on, you know, my perspective on this, I am a gay man. I'm polyamorous, been in various um, polyamorous relationships, and I'm sure we'll end up talking about what queer is. I view polyamory and queer having sometimes a relationship and sometimes not. It depends. Um, I similarly had uh, two great aunts who were lesbians and married. So there, you know, was a history of kind of don't ask, don't tell. I think it mostly just had to do with generation. It was just like, you know, your Aunt Phil and, you know, et cetera. They are, it was never like said they are together. It was never they're married, but it also wasn't hidden. It, I think just no one quite knew how to navigate it. Um, yeah, I blew those doors much more open on my extended family than they did. <laughs> Yeah. And and that's fair. And it's weird. Like for years, my aunt was like, my aunt has a friend that lives with her. And it was like, why don't we just call her her girlfriend? Like I asked that at one point and like the whole family looked at me like I was, I'd scandalized them. And I'm like, you're kidding me. Right. (laughs) Anyway, these things happen. So let's talk werewolf. So werewolf, the apocalypse is definitely an interesting game for this topic. And this topic goes back to the beginning for this game. I'm not going to say this is the, uh, like the start of it, but at least in 1994 as a riff off the rage card game, they wrote 
the book Breathe Deeply. Oh, 1995, sorry. It came out in 1995, Breathe Deeply by Don Basingthwaite. I love this book. It is amazing. One thing it does is it shows a pair of gay men in relationship and neither of them dies which I had to reread the book to make sure that I was right about that. But it was so nice not to see anyone get fridged. And yes, it's a bit contentious because that's the werewolf world for you, but at least they both survive. And I was like, thank you for that. At least doing that for us. So. Yeah. And I mean, between fridging and burying your gaze, it's it's really tricky. Uh, this is something that's very broadly world of darkness and queer is, especially in the last few years, I've seen a lot of people talk about how much, you know what, I don't need any more tragic gay stories, any more tragic trans stories. I just don't need it. Um, it's all I had for years and years and years. And aside from queer stories, I love a good tragedy. I love a good story about the death of the human soul. I like the darkest corners of this world. And at first I kind of reacted negatively to that. Like, no, I, I want my tragedy. I want my Arthurian tragedy. And then I like went back and watched Angels in America again and watched like all the like early queer media I'd grown up on. And I went, oh, so I loved all these things before I started consuming queer media. So I still have that association. But if I didn't have that love affair and this had been my last two decades, yep, I'd be over it too. So I've kind of come around on that topic and it does make navigating this intentionally dark world with queer themes a little more complicated. Yep, it absolutely does. And so let's for a second back up and define how, at least how we are using queer, I will define it how I use it, how I understand it. For me, it is a blanket term for anyone um, on the LGBTQIA plus spectrum. I prefer to use the term queer because I like reclaiming it from the slur that it was. And because for me it fits, because while, while bi is something that I've identified with for years, it's kind of not super accurate of a term anymore and it's one of those things where i'm just like i'm more comfortable saying hey i'm queer and i'm uh, that kind of ends the conversation in a in a good way for me um and so i'm looking at everything in the world of darkness and werewolf the apocalypse in this conversation through that rainbow lens as it were yeah my use of the word queer most of the time is mostly in alignment with that um i know a lot of people and i do lightly associate with this view queer as an intentionally rebellious label. Um, so not to get too weird queer theory on everyone, uh, but I view queer as being all the things Josh just said, plus an explicit, bleh, plus an explicit rejection of homonormativity. The, I am a nice white gay man and I have a nice white gay husband and we have a nice adopted child and look at us live the dream everyone thinks is normal and now I will be part of your like liberal normalization. I am kind of anti that. I'm not anti individuals doing that. I'm anti that being a thing we accept and we're not gonna look at all the other stuff. So the sort of very rebelliously saying, no, all the things that don't fit into that mold, 
need to be on equal footing and I accept nothing from you until that's the, that's the norm. To me, queer is also kind of a flag for that sentiment. Yep, absolutely. I absolutely agree with that 100%. And I thank you for kind of expanding that into that space. So looking at that from the beginning, I think werewolf in some ways is very queer in that there are lots of different layers of the game that give opportunity for queer people to see themselves in the game in one form or another. And there have been references to everything from kink to gay relationships to polyamory in some form or another from the beginning of this game. And what that means at a table, of course, is going to be something completely different for everybody. Um, But it's good to acknowledge that, but then also smart for us to acknowledge that it's been super problematic from the very, very beginning too. Yeah. And one thing Josh and I were talking about a little bit before the record that I think it's worth mentioning is I think they're like with a lot of uh, storyteller games because of the golden rule, I think there end up being two very different games. There's the game that's written and you can engage with it and say, what is this thing on the page? Death of the author or not, who knows, but what is this thing on the page? And then there's, uh, well, we've got the golden rule. So how am I going to write myself into this? And especially if we're talking queer stories, you know, queer people have a long, long history, decades and decades of this, especially in Hollywood, of writing themselves into stories unofficially. Sometimes as the viewer, I'm going to see myself in this story. Sometimes as the gay person who is a writer, producer, dancer, who would never get approval to write queerness into their story, but they could add things that only other queer people would recognize. Um, So you get queer coding. And, you know, I'm not as deeply familiar with all the werewolf lore. I've I've quite a bit of, I have about a shelf of werewolf. Um, So I, I am acquainted, but I'm not as deeply acquainted as some of the other World of Darkness games. There's a ton of queer coding in Changeling, probably more than any other game. There's a fair bit of queer coding in Vampire. I haven't seen as much of it in Werewolf, but there are places where it shows up. Um, And reading yourself into a thing is 100% legitimate. But at the same time, there's, you know, there's a place for saying, hey, let's just demand you write these stories a little bit more for us to begin with. And so you can critique one thing, the how is it written on the page while doing the other and celebrating the other. Yeah, absolutely. I think the problem and the solution, as it were, begins at the very first part of the litany. The fact that your first commandment as a werewolf is do not mate with other werewolves. That is a thing right from the beginning. And it's it's from there as a beginning. And it also ties into this other element of the unsaid part of that line is that you need to mate with something. And by mate, they explicitly mean have children. And so in a lot of queer relationships, having at least naturally born children is less common for obvious reasons, or I won't get into the, the mechanics of that. But that being a commandment of the in-world game means that you're going to have to tackle 
how you approach that theme of breeding and children and so forth from some sort of perspective if you're playing this game. It's very unlikely it will not be addressed at least in some form or another as you're playing. Yeah, and it, this is one of those areas where the queer themes are obvious, but if you're trying to write a character, if you yourself are, you know, a gender fluid person, you know, as a teenager, I'm going to kind of speak to this. I started playing these games at 15, so I can't help but think back to what was I navigating? What was I trying to make sense of? You know, I wrote a lot of queer characters, some of them not so acceptable because I was going through some shit. Um, and when I think about making the werewolf that related to my experience, you know, the experience as a, as a queer person, whether your queerness is about sexuality or gender expression is the illusion of choice. You don't have a choice. Can I choose who I have sex with? Yes. Uh, can I choose who I'm attracted to and who that sex will actually be meaningful with? No. Uh, can I choose what my gender is? No, absolutely not. Can I choose to ignore it and make myself miserable and express a certain way? Technically, like, yes. And so there's always this tension of everyone forcing you to. And the thing about the Metis thing is the sin, as it were, and I put this in scare quotes because I hate that idea, but it's there in the Metis, so we got to deal with it. The sin is performed by the parents, but it's born by the child and the child cannot be forced. There's no closet. You can't be forced back into the closet. And the parents largely in the text are kind of absolved when it's done. Oh, we're going to take this, this kid away because they're all full-time crinos now and they'd let everyone know we exist. So we're going to hide them away in the sept and raise them till the first change. And then like maybe their deformity is mild enough that they can hide it. Or maybe they have horns, um, giant ram horns. I love that art in Werewolf 20th. I just yeah. don't uh, view it quite the way the book presents it. Um, <laughs> But that distribution of sin and how much it can't be hidden in and, and the way the, the payment for it is distributed is very different from the way it works out for queerness. Um, so it's, there, are, there are a lot of parallels, but then there's a lot of weirdness in how that fits. Yeah. It's this weird sort of thing where... Imagine you are in a religious conservative cult in America. I think a lot of our listeners can probably understand what that means in a lot of cases. And two people have a child. And in that cult, you know, in the real world, in those sorts of cults, they would raise that child. And that child, if they are anyway outside of what the heteronormativity normativity of that cult is, they are going to be ostracized and completely removed from your community, if not hurt and abused and all kinds of things that can happen. Um, that said, it's kind of backward to that in Werewolf, where you have the equivalent of a religious cult, because honestly, werewolves are a religious cult that are at war, aggressively at war with pretty much everything around them. And instead of uh, they're ostracizing the child for simply existing, 
And I can see reading into that, that queer kid growing up in a religious conservative environment into that, but you have to read into it backward to get there. And I, I find that part difficult. Yeah, I think there are some similarities in the way the metas are treated. I think for me, what I struggled with a little bit is how the metis respond. And this is a place, before I keep talking, can you hear that siren in the background? Just barely, it's not a big deal. Okay. Um, I think for me, this is one of the areas where the reading yourself in and deciding what you're gonna do at your table becomes really important. So I came up in the leather community, which is a very particular um, segment of the queer community that has a lot of gay men, a lot of lesbians, a lot of bisexual people, and increasingly over the last several years has started to have a lot of trans individuals and uh, um, some fairly high profile public, you know, influencer trans individuals as, as well as just title holders, um, the, the whole blue, boot black community for anyone who's um, familiar is, has a very strong trans um, cultural connection. And when I think about the way that community makes itself, like you hear people talk a lot about found family. And the thing I thought about while reading this book is found authority. So I'm gonna go up, I'm going to earn my leather cap. I wanna be traditional about this. I want to wear a title. And just so everyone knows, I am a sash husband. I have lived through the circuit all the way through to my husband going to an international competition. It's an experience. Um, but there is this entire infrastructure of authority that you choose to accept. And while a lot of people do that now without the intense ostracization, that all grew up because the mainstream authority would not accept you. So like, fine, I'm going to find my own acceptance. But beyond that, I'm going to accept that authority. I'm going to accept subservience to this authority because it makes me feel like I have a family, a place, a belonging, I've earned a thing. And what I want in Werewolf to complete that experience is for there to be an entire metis or I want to say outcast. There's an entire parallel to mainstream werewolf society of werewolves that are like, screw your litany. Here is our litany. Here's the right litany. And maybe it isn't the right litany. Like you get to critique queer society in this as well. We're not perfect. But like, I want some version of that to complete the thought. I went digging. I didn't. And Josh and I talked about this a little bit. Finding that part of the experience was hard. Yeah. There's no perfect analog for that. In Vampire, you have the Camarilla and the Anarchs. In theory, the Anarchs could represent that sort of, sort of society. In Werewolf, you don't ever have anything unless you're the Black Spiral Dancers. You don't ever have anything that is an actual rejection of the conservatism and the the problematic truth of the Garu nation being a fascist state effectively. It is from every level, even the Bonars buy into the fact that they believe in th this, you know, this power structure and they, 
undercut it slightly. The glass walkers undercut it slightly, but only slightly and not enough for it to actually be a fully separate community or expression of that. Yeah. And, you know, you brought up while we were chatting that the Black Spiral dancers actually did kind of parallel some of the ideas I was thinking of. And this is one of those weird things where like when you're in uh, a sub-community, you have your dirty laundry and you're happy to talk about openly with other people. It's uncomfortable to talk about outside your community. There's a whole like bug chaser, meth problem. Like there is a version of being susceptible to that. There is a particular slice of queer culture that would map onto the Black Spiral dancers, but it's the powerful stories there other stories of loss from the rest of queer culture, the rest of the outcast culture where we lost someone we cared about, or like we were willing to dig down into the muck and redeem them. I think, you know, the general view that, oh, the Black Spiral dancers are full stop the enemy and like having a corollary where you do have this rebellious group that maybe the werewolves at large just think are just as bad as the Black Spiral dancers, but they're not, but they're willing to go in and save that person. Like I've, I've had gay friends that went down the meth hole and came out of it. A lot of them don't. And I don't know that I want any of that in a published book. Right. Like I'm willing to acknowledge the fact that there is a story there, but without the part of the community that's functional, that is still outcast. It doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those things that, it just strikes me that one of the major NPC figures in the Black Spiral Dancers is a woman that screams all the time and wears BDSM gear. And I'm not saying anything necessarily with that, but if you look at that and go, huh, I wonder what the writers were thinking. There was certainly a, there was certainly a theme that they thought they were hitting there and it's not great. It's, it's, not and the other thing that i struggle with across all the world of darkness but i've definitely seen as a problem specifically with werewolf um is all the world of darkness was written as satire it was meant as here's this terrible thing and we're going to highlight it in a way that you can dig into it and sometimes it was very successful the the pentex subsidiaries book we were talking about before the record great satire fantastic satire maybe a little hard to use as a game artifact, but like great satire, freak legions, great satire. Some of the other areas I'm like, was this satire? Was like the version of this in the core book satire and then a different writer just picked it up and ran with it in a source book and like they didn't write it as satire. Like it's a lot of it doesn't read like satire and how much of that is an accident and how much of that is there are dozens of writers here and not all of them are. Uh, are aligned on that intent. Yeah. And it's some of this content is touchy. Yeah. Um, especially when you get into queer themes. So I struggle with that a lot. Yeah, same. You know, when you look at the Fenrir and look at their first edition tribe book, that reads as, as heavy satire. And absolutely, it could be read that way, or it could be read as fairly serious if you don't get it. And the problem is, is sometimes as players, when you're reading satire, sometimes you miss that it's satire and you're just playing it 
for lack of a better word, straight. And that's that's a concern. And I think one of the things we have to be cognizant of, particularly as game creators, is if we're writing something to be satire, we need to flag it in a way that makes people recognize, not just in that little sidebar at the beginning saying this is just a game book, but also throughout, you have to remind people, this is the thing you're supposed to be pushing back against if you see it. Yeah. And I think, you know, we've talked a lot about uh, some of the struggles we have. There were a couple ideas that I had while doing this that maybe not written, but I think it's worth like, hey, you could do this thing at your table. Or, you know, if you wanted to write a vault book, hint, hint, nudge, nudge. Um, and the thing that struck me is there's a lot of room for creating rebel sets. There's a lot of room for, okay, the sets in my area are all aligned with these monolithic, pure breed. I have to be in the right, the right way, the right culture, the right expression, the right breeding. And then there's a group of metis and maybe not just metis, maybe just a group of shifters that disagree with that. And we find some spirits in alignment with our view. And you build a whole sept that is designed around like ballroom culture. Like on a very superficial, you just have access to the simplest media, go watch a whole season of Pose and then be like, I'm gonna make a sept based off of that. And imbue the level of like rebellion of Electra abundance, like reading that woman in the restaurant. Like that is the attitude you have towards the mainstream. There's a place for that and finding the spirits that will give you renown, even though that's what you're pursuing and telling that story that I think then takes all of the, let's be honest, fashy elements of werewolf and suddenly puts them in a framing where you can challenge them. And suddenly I like them being there. So I think there's a lot of room to tell stories like that. Um, I just don't know that I've seen it written in many of the books. Yeah. I agree with you really strongly. Like one of the things that you see early on in Rage Across New York is this idea that the Sept of the Green in Central Park is a fairly democratic sept. And it's kind of kicking at the Northern Protectorate that Albrecht is from by saying, you know, all of your like, all of your structure, all of your hierarchy that you have is broken. And at the beginning, Albrecht is a case of a character who falls from all of that and then learns from being in a more democratic sept. But then the writers forgot all of that time that Albrecht spends as a common person, as it were. And I think you can do something similar with that idea. Like you're saying, you can create seps that intentionally break the mold and you can create packs that break the mold. One of the things in Breathe Deeply is a pack gets created where all of these characters are like, hey, we know the two of you are gay and you're a glass walker and those two things aren't necessarily the same, but at least in Werewolf, there's a lot of tension, a similar tension in those two things. So you can create that found family pack that then pushes back against the culture of this, you know, hyper conservative culture of Garu. And I think that can be a lot of fun with the right group of players to do that sort of pushback. 
Yeah, I think the other thing that gets kind of interesting and it's the aspect of queer relationships. So, you know, there's this whole taboo around werewolves being with werewolves because they make metis. But what happens if you're a lesbian or gay or, you know, you're just not interested in breeding, um, you know, what does that turn into? And uh, I think it creates some really interesting parallels where if you wanted to shift the emphasis um, and there's also a place for kind of sweeping away some of the negative stuff and saying, all right, well, I say grew up as a lesbian. You have a character who grew up as a lesbian and, you know, born family completely rejected you. And then you go through the, you know, um, your first change and you fall in love with another werewolf. And then everyone's like, well, it's fine. You're not going to have a metis. And there's like this whole thing with lesbian relationships being accepted through history where gay men weren't like, you could decide to do a really interesting story and inspect that dynamic. And what about the werewolves that are in love that are straight? And like, you're suddenly twisting who's oppressed in a way that resonates with the story. And you could do some really interesting stories. And do you decide to support them? Do you decide to challenge what's going on because of your prior experience before your first change? I think pulling the human queerness into the characters and then doing the thought experiments of, well, how would they actually interact with this culture reveals a totally different set of really fascinating stories. For sure. There's also the kind of open question in Werewolf about what if you are in a straight passing relationship to have children and then maybe you have other yeah, stealth or whatever relationships on the side, maybe within the, the partnership, that's a, a completely comfortable dynamic, but you have to kind of hide that from the sept potentially as well. If there's issues with that, there could be stories there that if you're comfortable exploring that can be a beneficial space to at least see some reflection there because we all have those, we all know those stories of, of men who sleep with other men outside of their like otherwise straight relationship, nine to five job situation. And that is what it is. That is a thing that can get reflected in the game if you want to. Yeah. And honestly, the easy version of that story is I'm having an affair. It's on the side. You know, if my partner found out everything would fall apart. So I have to keep it hidden, but and, you know, I'm revealing my polyamorous biases here. There are much more complicated versions of that story. You know, there are plenty of state funerals where wives and mistresses of past, you know, politicians are seen holding each other crying. And it's like, there was an understanding. And no, it couldn't be official. They couldn't come out and say they're poly. And who knows what relationship those people had with each other. But they clearly knew the score in a way where they're there to comfort each other and you know stories that have come out of Hollywood and you know being in an openly polyamorous constellation that covers half the sky um, where I only have connections to a couple spots but the constellation covers half the sky 
There are very different versions of that. And what happens if everyone who's directly involved is on the up and up and understands and it's fine, but then the sept doesn't approve Mm -hmm. for breeding reasons. That's like a whole uncomfortable thing that's worth introducing so you can challenge it, so you can tear it down. Because that's what all the terrible things in the world of darkness are for. It's for you to be opposed to. You're not supposed to like the fashiness. (laughs) Like... (laughs) exactly i've been beating that drum a lot in episodes recently but it's absolutely true like those are the things you're supposed to be fighting against like the the bad stuff is supposed to be your target kick down the target yeah (laughs) so i think the interesting thing is that um one i want to talk about one elephant in the room ha um one werewolf and furry community you know those Two things are uh, are connected at the hip, as you were. There is a reason that the furry community finds werewolf to be uh, a thing that resonates for them. And I respect the hell out of it. I have a particular pair of friends who I think of every time I talk about furries within the World of Darkness community. And uh I can't speak to it other than the fact that I respect them a ton. And it's just one of those things that you have to recognize. There is a subset of fans that are coming at this game from a, uh, from a perspective of that being part of their identity. Yes. Um, And I am not personally a member of the furry community, but I'm very close with people who are. And you know, for everyone who's listened to any of Walking Away from Arcadia, you know, I'm closely connected to the other World of Darkness game that's very close to the furry community because puka are a thing. Um, and a lot of the furries I've talked to, when they explain why being a furry is attractive and being a furry can be the whole like fursuit, full contact sport thing, or it can be I just like the stories and the art and I collect it. I mean, there's a, there's a broad scale there. Um, the friends I have are more in the, I just like the stories and the art and maybe I have like a furry silly hat. Like that's about as far as it goes. I see. Most <laughs> of my friends are fursuit furries. Yeah. So yeah, but you absolutely have that spectrum. So that's you fair. do. Mm-hmm. Um, but that idea of, I want to play out the feeling of being an animal. I want being a human sucks. Like, let's just own up to it. Being in our own heads, and I live in my own head, I never, ever, ever leave. Um, It's hard and it's stressful. And the thing that has always been described to me, and I'll also call out, because I talked about, you know, the leather community, the pup community, which is very similar psychological dynamics to werewolf, is the idea of, I want to role play all of that being washed away, whether that's by rage or going into lupus or playing a character that's, you know, not Hamid to begin with, that is, you know, lupus in origin. And what does that mean? And like allowing myself to think that way and going into that headspace because it, I get to shut all that stuff off intentionally and let all the stress of keeping all those things running go away for a little while. And that's attractive. And so there are a lot of very similar things there. There are a lot of very similar 
attractive dynamics, emotional dynamics, and, you know, the furry community and the pup community are both heavily queer in a lot of ways, although by no means exclusive. So yeah, there's going to be a lot of overlap there and you can explore a lot of the same dynamics for similar reasons. Yep. Absolutely. I think it's totally fair when you think about, I want to play a lupus character just to get out of the human brain headspace for a little while and how potentially therapeutic, you know, for lack of a better word, that can be. And that's just a thing to acknowledge and be supportive of. If, if, if people need that and can express it in a way that works with your game table dynamic or your LARP group dynamic, go for it. You know, that's completely a safe, it should be a safe space for them to do so as long as you have the right people around the table. And that's what all of gaming is really about is getting the right group of people together and feeling comfortable expressing in role-playing and doing all those sorts of things. So all of that to be said that that is a thing to just recognize as also being parallel or at least touching on similar things that we're talking about. I now want to talk about where I think some of the more recent werewolf media has done good things and where some of it has gone in an interestingly bad direction. Um, Particularly good is the By Night Studios representation of uh, of trans characters and queer characters uh, in general. Um, the uh, the signature character who is your narrator throughout the entire By Night Studios werewolf book is Verity. Um, what is Verity's um, deed name or last name? I can't remember now. I don't know if I'll pronounce this correctly, but it's Verity Argiris. Argiris. Argiris, I think. Argiris. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and she is a trans woman who is recognized by Pegasus as a woman and a member of the Black Fury tribe. And that's kind of not a, it's a big deal, but not a big deal as the way it's written. Like it's written in a way to be affirming affirming and supportive and holistic and not like, not like a, oh, wow, you know, this is the central part of, the, of her story. And I like how that, is written and how it was built into that book. Yeah, I I absolutely love her. I love her story. I love the little moment of her talking about moms. Um, there are just so many tiny things. I was going through the By Night Studios book again. I played in, I think it was the beta briefly, um, but it had been a while since I read the books. And I was going through again, and there was one particular quote that jumped out. I shared it with Josh, but I want to read it. A legend frames the values of the society that created it and reveals the character of the society that retells it. And I mean, I loved a lot of her quotes, but that one is one absolutely true. I've been watching a lot of videos currently from um, this gentleman on YouTube called Jackson Crawford, and he's, you know, digs into lots of translations of um, Norse mythology. And, you know, thinking about what's the underpinning of these, and he does talk about the values of the time and why these things were probably emphasized. Um, Some things that are great and some things that we would think are awful today, you know, and also thinking about like that satire truck, that satire dynamic we were talking about in thinking about these games and narrative in general, a lot of times when critiquing it, when talking about what's good or bad, I'll hear people say, 
oh, well, because of X, Y, Z, it makes sense. And X, Y, Z is a thing in the game. Somebody made a choice to do X, Y, and Z. And I'm not interested in X, Y, Z existing and making the third thing make sense. I'm interested in why X, Y, and Z were written and what are the stories they're meant to facilitate. And either one, if it does defend the thing we're critiquing, what does that say about how the thing we're critiquing should really be done? Or B, are they bad reasons? And what does that say? The legends reveal the values of the people who tell them and the people who choose to perpetuate them. And role-playing games are just a bunch of legends we choose to tell each other. Yeah. Our modern version of mythology are comic books, superhero movies, and role-playing games. Those are the places where we build our mythology. Dungeons and Dragons is so big right now because it plays into the modern mythology building community that is out there. So you have to ask yourself, when you are looking at these games and you are noticing their flaws, like bioessentialism in D&D and the fascism elements in Werewolf the Apocalypse, when you are creating your games and creating your characters, what are you doing to turn around and attack those things? The question, when will you rage, should be, I'm going to rage at these terrible things in society. I'm going to rage at the environment getting destroyed. I want to rage at capitalistic companies abusing their workers. I want to rage at fascist people running our country. Sorry to get political. Oh, wow. Um, that is, those are the times, those are the things you should be using this game to rage at. You know, to have that experiment of what would it be like to get up and actually throw a brick in a in a riot and have that have some impact. Yeah. And, you know, there is something kind of satisfying, especially if you've read about those old movements. And, you know, for anyone who's listened to Walking Away from Arcadia, no surprises here. I'm an anarcho syndicalist. I believe in the general strike. And I also believe the lessons learned from the propaganda of the deed that preceded the general strike are legitimate. And we need to learn those lessons. We don't need to go back to that. Werewolf is kind of going back to that intentionally is a bad thing. Like that's not supposed to be presented as a good thing. All you have to do is read that boardroom scene in the new book of the Wyrm. And it's like that, you know, that board member who's getting his throat ripped out is laughing for a reason. And it's not because he's getting up after this. Um, you know, that's there in the game, but I think, you know, going back to the queer themes, if that's a thing you're supposed to be grappling with, all of the essentialism in Garu culture is also something you should be grappling with. You know, it shouldn't just be seen as good because the PCs are the ones espousing it. This is the world of darkness. Right. And so I think that brings us to a book we need to at least acknowledge exists and then just acknowledge that it may not, it, it hopefully does not bode for the future of Werewolf the Apocalypse. So we're, I'm describing the book, The Changing Way, which is a Werewolf 20th anniversary book uh, that came out only a couple of years ago. And it tackles the, uh, the idea of being trans in a way that is very, very poorly written. And the author of that content had it changed on them by the developers. And they are very upset about that. I think rightfully so, because they were not writing something that was going to 
be supporting turf or trans-exclusionary radical feminist ideology, which is effectively an anti-trans pseudo-feminism and the, of, of the Black Fury tribe in particular. So the Black Furies have been a feminist tribe from the beginning, from the very first book, and that has not always been presented particularly well. And they there's lots of different waves of feminism that they represent. And Verity, I think, rec- re- represents a more modern progressive feminism and the changing way represents the pushback against that. And, and that's just, that's a thing to acknowledge that it's, that it says things about identity and then blocks you from the opportunity to explore those spaces. It is worth acknowledging that this book has two really horrendous paragraphs that are incredibly biosensualist, and then immediately follow it up with not all Garu are arrogant enough to think this, and here is a spiritual path to basically go through transition. It's only a couple lines of flavor, and like I was thinking about this a lot when I was reading through the Metis Gifts, and there are some Metis Gifts that get into you're better at metamorphosis, you're better at change, but they don't ever go as far to acknowledge this. And it just felt like a fig leaf. Like if you're really gonna make this satire, if you're really gonna make this, this is a terrible part of werewolf culture and we're making it terrible on purpose and you should break it down. Give me a gift, make it a hard gift, put a quest behind it, give me a gift and like talk about the relationship and the schism that creates within the culture and give me a story space to navigate because you've given a story space to the oppressor here. And they didn't go that far. Um, The other thing, and I just, I have to say this, there's this line in here about the ridiculousness of questioning the body Gaia gave you, the implication being Gaia couldn't possibly be fallible. Gaia was a Titan? Find me a polytheistic mythology anywhere that has infallibility as a precept. I'm sorry. If you're going to invoke polytheism, while simultaneously, whether you acknowledge it's what you're doing or not, invoking the Christian concept of deific infallibility, you have officially lost me. I have no interest in your opinions on mythology because those two things don't belong in the same sentence. And that's what this book does. And it has a bunch of impact because it's on this queer topic, but fundamentally, your Christian concept of infallibility has no business in anything inspired by a polytheistic entity. And Guy is kind of high on that list. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Let's end the episode right there. No, <laughs> I absolutely agreed. A hundred percent agreed. Like the thing is Gaia may be at the apex of spirits that the werewolves worship, but there are lots of other spirits along the way. And Gaia is also a bit of a absent landlord where she is not engaged with the werewolves on a day-to-day basis, really. And you know what? There are lots of other spirits that would look at a werewolf and go, you know what? I want to help you be the most authentic self you can be. What can I do for you? Hey, guess what? I know someone called Chimera and Chimera can help. 
or you know who else can help there tons of different spirits that could help well and and also i'm sorry if you're going to bring up the gaia makes no mistakes honey you came from a culture that had not one but two wars of rages we need to have a conversation because nope no, you don't get to hold up that fig leaf. Not until that's resolved and taken care of. And I've had too many Garu PCs at LARPs be like, we should bring back the War of Rage because they want to be edgy and rip on the fair up PCs. And I'm sorry, if that is still accepted as as much of a thing in modern current Garu culture as it is, then I don't want to hear about Gaia's infallibility. Don't want to hear about it. <laughs> Yeah, I feel really similar when I hear people be like, oh, I, we should bring back the Impergium as a thing in the game. Like there should actually be Garu doing that. I'm like, no, I don't want to play that game. Like I'm OK with a couple of Garu saying, well, why don't we do this? With Like the Red Talons are supposed to be doing. But I think one, that's stupid. Wolves wouldn't actually think that. And two, it, it should be a very small group of Garu that, again, you're pushing back against and saying, no, you're wrong. That is the worst it was the worst thing we ever did doing that again yeah. would be just as bad as going and killing off all the Camisot or the Grandeur or, or any of the other people we've genocided. Yeah. It's there. That's a, that's a whole other episode is <laughs> genocide and werewolf. But yeah, I think, you know, just thinking about this whole idea of infallibility as an excuse to be anti-trans gets back to where are the interesting stories to explore for trans identity among the Garu and shape-shifting and, you know, maybe do more than just this couple narrative lines implying there's a gift path and like make a gift. And how does gender identity shift? Like it's really easy. And speaking to essentialism, this text only talks about, I'm gonna read these words and I apologize. Powerful jagglings and greater spirits can mend the rift between a werewolf's body and her nature. And like, there's a whole swath of the trans community that does not experience dysphoria. Right. And I am all for that being a dynamic. If you do experience dysphoria and you want to explore that, but having that be the response erases (laughs) all of the trans identities and experiences that don't include dysphoria and are fluid and are changing And do we want to explore how that manifests in an intrinsically shape-changing creature, especially for a game that has borrowed a lot from indigenous cultures, some of whom had societal roles for that. Some of the European cultures that the European tribes trace back to before Christianity had societal roles and norms where that wasn't a problem. I mean, let's talk about gender in Norse myth. No, really. Let's talk about it. <laughs> we can I talk mean, about that topic for a long time too, but yeah. Yeah. Like how, how many, how many different God-like things did Loki mother? I mean, right. <laughs> you know, so I want a story that takes all these wolf tribes from all of these various places and has a built-in organic place for that. And if you want to tell the story about how that was buried by Christianity cool but make it clear that like no it's here and we're making a comment about the fact it was buried yeah and i think there is another option to do that exact same thing as well and just say this is a thing that any spirit of any power can help do 
and not have it be a gift per se, because I think there was an interesting statement made in the Scion community recently where the developers of Scion Second Edition said, you know what? The gods will help you be your authentic self. Yes. That's it. That is a power built into every Scion. And you know what? The werewolves could do that too. Absolutely. That's like any totem, if you ask me, any totem of a tribe and those interact with the various members of their tribe on a constant basis, it seems like, has the power to do that if they want to. So. Yeah. And the thing is, the thing that I love, the stories that that opens up is if you decide to do that at your table, just say, we're going to throw out all this essentialism and make this a normal part of werewolf. You suddenly get this really exciting story where your werewolves are not just rooted in being gay or lesbian. They're rooted in the deep rage of the Compton cafeteria riots and the first brick that was thrown at Stonewall. And you suddenly get to tell these time period pieces with these characters that are actually just a perfect corollary for being the Garu and how self-destructive and yet positively transformative was that rage. And like, that's the story I want to tell with Werewolf. I have to throw like 80% of the game away to tell that story though. Yep. Yep. It's sad, but true. One of the things that I tend to do in my games is I, I kill the idea of a singular nation off immediately because that is an oppressive force that if you believe that there is a singular governmental system that all of these peoples around the world somehow buy into and then all have this completely like orthodox belief system. If there's no space to undermine that orthodoxy, which is one of the things that we're talking about is a recurring way to express queer themes is undercutting the, the orthodoxy or the oppressive systems that are, we see in our present world, which are better now than they were 20 years ago, but still not perfect. Yeah. You've, You've got to have a bigger space for it. You've got to present a bigger space for it in the text or I, or just throw it out completely and present something completely different. Yeah. I, I kind of want to make this change in all of the world of darkness games. I consistently want to, if I don't throw out whatever the main force is, I want to take away their monolithic control. Mm -hmm. Like most of the main, you know, overwhelming governments of the supernatural are actually fine if they only control 60% of things. And the remaining 40% are the people who are like, cool, you have power, but it doesn't have any intrinsic legitimacy. It's just, you happen to have it. And I can find a corner of the world where I don't get to care structurally. And maybe that catches up with me. And like, that's how anarchists actually live in the world. I'm over, I'm fine with that. But yeah, I want all of these games. Basically, I want all of these games to have as much space for Renegades as Wraith does. Yeah. Wraith is the only game that actually gave them enough of a space in the canon, in my opinion. Yep. I think Vampire tried at the beginning and then it got, it fell in love with the Camarilla. And that is a thing. Um, that is a thing. But I think we've talked about a lot of cool things in that people can at least uh, examine in werewolf and try to reflect on and think about how to, to 
if they want to include queer themes in their werewolf games, how they can do so, maybe the things to specifically push back on so that they're doing so more effectively. And I think if folks have questions, thoughts, or uh, if they have emotional outbursts from this episode, I recognize and appreciate all of those. Victor, if folks wanted to find you and, uh, and talk to you, what is the best way for them to do that? Uh, the best way to do that is to look up Walking Away From Arcadia on Facebook. Um, Simon and I do respond to messages there. I respond a little bit more than Simon. He's sort of gotten off Facebook for his own mental health. Um, that's probably the easiest way. And you can also just find us at Walking Away From Arcadia on Podbean or basically anywhere that podcasts are syndicated. Fantastic. And people should, if you haven't listened to Walking Away From Arcadia, you are missing out on an excellent podcast that is a great exploration of changeling and one of these days i will actually play a changeling i played a mage in a changeling game and i'm not bitter but i do (laughs) think i should have played a changeling in that game but that's okay yeah your your dice also were not kind to you your sphere rolls were hard never never good to me (laughs) my dice hate me no anyway so Until we finally get an answer to the question, when will you rage, which I answered earlier in this episode, I'll talk to you again next time.